Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times is what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, Putin's annexation of four regions of Ukraine and what that means for the war there. Russia recently held referendums in four areas that it has seized in the south and the east of the country. Donetsk, Luhansk, Zaporizhia and Kherson, seeking to justify its takeover, no matter that the vote there were widely held by the international community to be illegitimate. Ukraine has already retaliated on the battlefield, winning back the strategically important city of Liman in the Donetsk region. And there are reports that Hershon is in the process of being reclaimed. We'll have much more in the moment as Zarina Zabrisky brings us up to date with the situation on the ground where she is in Odessa. Before that, just a reminder that the Byline Times podcast is funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper edited by Hardeep Matharu. Great thing about the Byline Times is there's no billionaire or oligarch telling us what to say. We can report without fear or favour because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. So if you can, please subscribe to the Byline Times. There's a load of reading in the monthly newspaper that you don't get online. Just head over to our website, bylinetimes.com, to find out how you can subscribe. Subscriptions start from as little as £3 a month. So as I say, the website is at bylinetimes.com. Let's welcome then Zarina Zabriski. And Zarina, it's been just over a week since we last spoke, and what a week. These referendums, illegitimate referendums, set up by Putin in the four regions that he seeks to annex, but Ukraine fighting back fiercely and courageously on the battleground. Ah, yes. Hi, Adrian. It's good to talk to you. And it feels like it's been weeks and weeks since we spoke last because of everything that is going on. Yes, we have to comment, I suppose, on the sham referenda and even calling them referenda without mentioning sham or referring how fake this procedure was would be playing into the Kremlin's hands. Basically, it's an absolutely absurd operation because to start with two of the areas that Putin is talking about are not even controlled by the Russian troops. These are Kherson Oblast region and Zaporizhia. And uh, I just recently visited the city of Zaporizhia and I can attest to the fact that it's controlled by the Ukrainian authorities and the troops. And a large part of Kherson area is also is controlled by Ukrainian troops and also being liberated as we speak. There is a lot of movement going on on that front last night and today. The same goes for Donetsk Oblast, because as you know, there's been a lot of advancement of the Ukrainian army. And you just mentioned the strategically important town of Liman that was liberated. And I was visiting the Kharkov area uh, last week, and I witnessed the liberation of the Eastern Front as well. So uh, he's basically, he meaning Putin, is basically speaking about the skin of the bear that is still running of the woods. That's their own Russian proverb right back at them. The referenda are important, though, aren't they? Because if Ukraine seeks to win back regions that Russia argues are its own, then 
Putin can portray that as an attack on Russian territory. So that, however sham, however illegitimate, raises the stakes in an already very frightening conflict, not just for Ukraine, but globally as well. But this is just a pretense because he really did not need to have the referenda. He Before that, he was doing whatever he felt like doing anyway. I don't believe there is any country so far that has recognized the results of this referenda. Correct me if, I wrong, if I'm wrong. But we know, at least for the fact that the majority of countries, like about 99% of them, already stated that they are not recognizing the referenda. So internationally, and from the legal point of view, this referenda do not have any meaning. It has, though, persuaded Ukraine to put in a fast-track application for NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Basically, the United States, Britain, and the West represented militarily. And one of the golden rules of NATO is that an attack on one is an attack on all. So again, this leads to a, a raising of the stakes in the whole conflict, doesn't it? Yes, although Ukraine was planning, and that was in the beginning of the conflict, that Ukrainian planned to become a part of the NATO. But at the time, before the war, the NATO wasn't looking at it favorably, at least most of the members' states were not. Currently, of course, after all the atrocities of the war, there are already 10 countries that have signed a petition agreeing to Ukraine joining. Uh, I don't remember all 10 of them, but there's Czech Republic and Lithuania, Baltic states and so forth, 10 of them already within one day. I think it is a signal on Zelensky's part, it is a signal that there are no compromises in this war. Putin in his completely deranged speech, which I unfortunately listened to, offered uh, negotiations to Kiev. But this is Zelensky's answer. He said there will be no negotiations until the current president of the Russian Federation is gone. So it's a very strong response. And you mentioned Putin's speech there. This was a speech that he gave at the formal ceremony last week at which he announced the annexation of these four regions of Ukraine. As we say, not all of these regions are in Russian control, which, which makes it slightly farcical, or it would do, were it not for the very serious issue of the lives at stake here. Putin's speech was about much more than Ukraine. It was a very broad-ranging attack on the West, he tried to invoke all kinds of historical precedent for this, blamed the West for colonialism going back decades. To some ears, it might have seen a slightly deranged narrative, but at the other extreme, it was something which showed that he's trying to bring in other countries, trying to bring in supporters on a, in a much broader way than simply annexing parts of Ukraine would suggest. Uh, yes, Adrian, uh, I actually saw the translations and notes of the speech, and I have to say that they look much more civilized and coherent in English than they sounded in the original Russian. Ukraine was mentioned very little. Uh, most of it was about the U.S., which was uh, called all kinds of names, and satanic cults were mentioned, 
And countries like Germany and Japan were called the vassals of the United States. And he did say that the United States occupied Germany. Basically, it's very hard to sum it up or to talk about it because it it sounded like a speech of a mentally ill person. Just worth reflecting on some of the things that he said, because, of course, these things may well have an echo around the world. He he said the West began its colonial policy back in the Middle Ages, then followed the slave trade, the genocide of Indian or indigenous tribes in America, the plunder of India, of Africa, the wars of England and France against China. What they did was hook entire nations on drugs, deliberately exterminating entire ethnic groups for the sake of land and resources. They hunted people like animals. This is contrary to the very nature of man, truth, freedom and justice. Now, there may well be historians who say that that speech has some real substance, but the relevance that it has to the world today, the relevance that it has to his unprovoked attack on Ukraine, that's a lot harder to stack up, isn't it? Well, I mean, we have to remember here that we are coming to what we see into the events of today, most of us anyway, with the, with the logic, with the common sense that we apply and project on what's coming from the Kremlin and specifically in this case, what's coming from Putin. And I think it's a major, major mistake. We, we lost that a while ago. This logic cannot be applied to anything produced by this state and by this government and by this government leader. For one thing, a long time ago, they started a campaign of uh, deceit and propaganda, which twists the facts and uses whataboutism. And this is a giant example of whataboutism going back into the medieval history, right? And then it's lately, presumably after COVID, it's uh, on the edge of sanity, right? So like there is a suspicion by many psychologists that Putin doesn't entirely control his narrative as well as he did before. And this is, I think, is the case here. This speech shouldn't be analyzed like a speech, let's say, of Joe Biden or even some other very unpopular government leaders. This is something of its own kind, I believe. Yeah, it it strays into the suggestion that the United States is in some way satanistic. I mean, we're getting into the world of the QAnon conspiracies that many Trump supporters believe in the United States, but it hasn't prevented him from mobilising many tens of thousands of ordinary Russian citizens in pursuit of this narrative. And of course, that mass mobilization is a reflection on the fact of his military defeats so far. And he's, so far as we can tell in the West anyway, proving very unpopular as well it might be with many young people in, in Russia. Well, this is to say the least. I actually was covering that and I spoke to several people who managed to escape and some people who want to escape back in Russia. I think many people have seen the reports about the catastrophic situation at the Russian borders, pretty much along the Asian borders and European. Uh, There are car lines that go for many, many kilometers and uh, thousands of kilometers in some cases, and people have to walk 
on food for days, some for weeks to escape. Because even though, and this is confirmed by the people I spoke to in Russia, the majority still supports the war, inexplicably, they do not want to risk their own life. Very few do. Most people are only happy to support Putin's foreign policy and this war from the comfort of their own living rooms. They do not want to go and die for the reasons that are unclear to them. And he seems blind to his own imperialism. There are people on the left in the UK and in the West generally who also seem blind to the fact that Hello, Russian imperialism, it's a thing. It's a thing historically, as the USSR, the existence of the USSR testifies, but as his invasion of Ukraine testifies now, and whether people want to die in pursuit of Russian expansionism is another question altogether. Yeah, it was very difficult for people I spoke to to get out of Russia. Um, financial reasons, not the last, probably most important ones, because the price of the air tickets and any kind of transportation went up threefold, tenfold. The only ticket to Dubai left on the night of Putin's speech was $90,000, Adrian. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and then, then, then there were none. So people were literally going on walking on foot to Mongolia. This is unprecedented. But I could see their point. Like I mentioned, I just returned from the heart Oblast where the fighting just recently stopped and the Russians were pushed across the border and I came as close as uh, two kilometers from the Russian border and I personally witnessed how many Russian soldiers are lying rotting in the fields. I've seen these corpses and I took photographs. I don't usually share graphic photographs but I did share one that it wasn't extremely disturbing on the day when Putin called the mobilization, because this is what's awaiting these people. So no wonder that they are fleeing, and I think they should be honestly fleeing or trying to avoid being in this army at any cost. The other thing which is interesting, and I want to mention, you you did mention people on the left who somehow still managed to see the Putin's regime in a positive light, or there's a lot of misunderstanding. There's also a lot of misconception. I, I was contacted by very well-meaning organization trying to write pamphlets and brochures to be distributed in Russia, calling for people to say no to the draft. Certainly, it's a good intention, but there's zero understanding of what's happening in Russia. Anybody in possession of such a pamphlet, electronically or physically, would risk 10 or 15 years in prison. So there's not that much that we can do on our part for people being in the West. What can be done is supporting Ukraine, I think, in any way shape or form, and perhaps maybe supporting those Russian dissidents, those Russians who fled Russia now and who opposed the war before, not just those who were supporting the war, but fled it now. Mm. And while Putin goes on about the misdemeanors of the past carried out by Western countries, right now, today, we have the evidence of torture of massacre of innocent people in towns like Izium, which Russia 
took control of but has since been beaten back from? Yes, uh, Adrian, this is one of the hardest visits for me in in Ukraine and not just in Ukraine, of my whole entire life. I have visited the mass graves and I was present at the exhumation and recorded the process, spoke to several European diplomats who were there, who were completely out of words. I am about to share the article, I think it appears in Byline Times very, very soon, on the torture chambers and people who were tortured I spoke to in the area. I visited Kazachia Lopen. This is a town two kilometers, some areas two kilometers, some five kilometers from uh, the Russian border. And I did uh, go inside this torture chamber with a man uh, who was being tortured there for many days by the Russian military. And I saw myself and I took photographs of the human cage of some objects that uh, it's easier for me to put it in writing. It's a very harsh story to report. One of the details that hit me the most uh, is one of the improvised prison that also had torture rooms. Uh, it was a railway station in Kazacha Lopen, and uh, the floor was covered with a um, shattered glass, like window glass and boil glass, and hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands, letters from the Russian children addressed to the Russian soldiers. You know, in the children's handwriting with pictures, dear Russian soldier, protect our motherland. We know how brave and noble you are. Come back safe. And all of this was also mixed with the icons and church literature. And some of the letters were used as the toilet paper. And uh, most of the letters were sitting in the boxes unopened. And all of this was in the place where people were severely tortured. Some, I believe, died in the uh, result of these tortures. I wasn't able to go to the mass grave in Kazachaloban because it wasn't open for the journalists yet. The police was doing the investigation, but I've seen the bodies and I have uh, reported from Izum mass graves where 447 bodies were exhumed. Of them, eight were children. I saw a child's body in the bag. There were severe signs of some very brutal tortures, including things like castration. And I'm not going to go into any more details. It's unnecessary. Mm. Uh, but after doing uh, a certain investigation, I come to a conclusion that is not a sign of some, of just some sadistic disorders that the Russian military obviously are experiencing. It's a centralized policy used as a tool to control. And I go more in details on that in the article that will be appearing in byline times. The danger, I suppose, the fear is that if Putin is turned backwards, if the retreat continues, that he may be tempted to use nuclear weapons. Yes, I, I mean, absolutely. We, we spoke about that before, and I will mention it again. Putin himself has mentioned many times that one of his role models is a rat from his childhood that when cornered jumps at you and attacks. 
And that's his behavior consistently. He is being cornered now. So he's putting on a good show on a big, big rally after the annexation ritual that happened in the Red Square last week. It was like the call for war. It was basically an or- a medieval orgy. It's very hard to describe, but it's showing the signs of desperation. It was staged. And so in a similar manner, he can just, when cornered completely, give the sword or push the button. The only hope that we have here is that he doesn't really have the access directly to the button. There's a chain of command. I once spoke to many years ago, but I believe it's probably still the same, to a person who served in the troops responsible for the nuclear weapons. And that person told me that there are about 10 at least people in between the commander and those who operate the device. So hopefully there will be some sane people or something will not work through that chain. Been fascinating to catch up with you as always, Zarina. Before we finish, I want to end on a an upbeat note. And you've reported and people can follow you and see all your various outlets via your Twitter feed at Zarina Zabriskie. That's a good place to see where you're reporting for and see all the different outlets that you're you're updating us on and, of course, in Byline Times. But you've reported on celebrations amongst the Jewish community for the the Jewish New Year recently for Rosh Hashanah. Just tell us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, that was was completely different. Uh, I went there straight from Kharkov and spent the day there That was quite an experience because reportedly 23,000 Hasidic Jews arrived this year for the celebration. Usually on a yearly basis, it's much more than that. But even now, during the war, the Hasidic Jews arrived, celebrated, and I was very pleasantly surprised at how smoothly and well it went and how the Ukrainian government did so much during the war to protect this area from possible provocations. I spoke to the military in charge of security and I had a guard with a big gun while I was reporting because women are not supposed to be in the streets or be in the public during this celebration. Uh, But I was in my capacity as a journalist, so I have received a guard and I was protected and I could report. Yes, and this is, I think, the pilgrimage is to the grave of a rabbi who founded a particular sect of Hasidic Judaism. That's why people flock there every year, These this group of uh, Hasidic Jews. But it's a little thing, I suppose, Zarina. We know, of course, that it's a lie to suggest that Russia is denazifying Ukraine in any way. But the very fact that 23,000 Hasidic Jews are welcome to make a pilgrimage to the site of a rabbi just lays bare the dishonesty, the claim that Ukraine is a Nazi country and that Russia is doing anything to denazify it. It exposes it for the nonsense that it always was and always is. 
I mean, I don't know if we needed that. Zelensky is a Jew. <laughs> and he's the only president who's a Jew. And I mean, like, I'm in Odessa. You know, I haven't been at Odessa as much as I love to be because I travel a lot. But every Saturday and Sunday, half of Odessa dances to Jewish songs in the middle of the city. I mean, this is just as ridiculous as pretty much everything that is coming out of Putin's mouth at this point. So this is another... Uh, proof that we just shouldn't be listening. We shouldn't be like giving any attention to this. We should be looking at what he's doing and what he's threatening, but not to his reasoning. Zarina, great to speak to you as always. We will catch up with you, of course, with your latest article at bylinetimes.com and the Byline Times. I've mentioned that people can follow you on Twitter as well at Zarina Zabrisky. Where else can people catch up with your brilliant dispatches? Oh, thank you. You're very kind, Adrian. Uh, Euromaidan Press. And uh, I'm just currently in a bit of a change. Uh, there is a video show that I started, and you could see first six episodes at Bywai and use on YouTube. Uh, and there's been a transition, and I'll tell you more next time I speak to you. Okay, brilliant. We'll look forward to it. They're well worth uh, checking out, though. Loads of additional content from Zarina. And as I say, the starting point is her Twitter feed, at Zarina Zabrisky. She brings brilliant dispatches to the Byline Times as well, and we're forever grateful for her great insight and bravery being in Odessa at this time. I'm Adrian Goldberg. You've been listening to the Byline Times podcast. Don't forget, we are supported, we are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper. Please take out a subscription if you can. You get more details at bylinetimes.com. I'll see you again very soon, but for now, bye-bye.